0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you
1: did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at quiz.fox.
0: Do not miss that one shot that you get or you just make your one shot, right? You know, when you see a huge company, do you guys ever wonder about the moment the idea for it first hatched? See, I'm totally fascinated by that. I think in the reverse. I love hearing, say, for example, how Spanx founder Sarah Blakely was getting ready for a party when she realized she did not have the right undergarment to, well, suck it all in under white pants. Armed with scissors and a problem that needed to be solved, she cut the feet off her control top pantyhose and billion-dollar company Spanx was born. Or Pierre Omidyar, who after spending Labor Day year at home writing code on his personal computer, he launched a site that, in essence, dedicated to bringing together buyers and sellers of stuff, old strings of Christmas lights and pants that don't fit you anymore, showerheads. The first item he sold, a used, broken laser pointer. The site he created, eBay. And did you hear the one about Netflix? That may be one of the very best of all. Two pals carpooling to work in Santa Cruz, California, a beta test involving a greeting card and a single stamp. Oh, and beach chairs, too. This we've got to hear because today Netflix is now a $150 billion entertainment bullet train thanks to those two guys who were carpooling way back in 1997. Mark Randolph was one of them. He's the co-founder and founding CEO of Netflix. Joining me in Everyone Talks to Liz form. Great to have you.
1: Well, it's great to be here, Liz. Thanks.
0: My head kind of exploded when I learned that the idea hatched in Santa Cruz, land of surfing, and the first pizza parlor, by the way, of the world, with whole wheat pizza crust only. How do I know that? I went to Santa Cruz for a year. Tell me about Santa Cruz and what was happening in that time.
1: Well, there certainly is a vibe about Santa Cruz, which is what, to me anyway, makes it an endearing place. It is laid back. It is a surf town. It's kind of this last hippie hippie refuge. um, It's where old Volkswagen buses go to die. Chartreuse. Yes. Volkswagen buses. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Great collection. But it was also, you know, it was right over the mountains from Silicon Valley. So it was in some ways connected to that economy. Um, I'd say most of the people who work in Santa Cruz don't work in Santa Cruz. They work over the mountains in Silicon Valley. And I was no, I was no different.
0: You were you know, working at a software company, correct? Yeah, I
1: was working at a small software company that myself and two friends had started. We were small. There was only about a dozen of us at the time. Um, and we were doing what software companies do. It was just building a product. We hadn't even launched um, customers yet. What was the product you were building? Well, it was pretty geeky. It was a product for quality assurance, so okay, I just the, fell asleep. Yes, yeah, of course. And my, <laughs> my, me, my mom fell asleep too when I tried to tell her this. <laughs> there was something very satisfying ultimately about Netflix is they actually understood what that what it company was. did, right, after the previous one. But it was it was kind of uh, fun. I was doing it with two friends, but our our idyllic lifestyle was disturbed when all of a sudden we sold the company. And it was a good a good thing because, you know, the investors make money and our stock options are now worth something. Um, And we sold it to a bigger company that happened to have been founded and was being run by a guy named Reed Hastings. uh, Co-founder of Netflix. Who figures fairly uh, strongly in the story after that. And Reed uh, coincidentally also lived in Santa Cruz. So you guys start carpooling together. Exactly. And so Reed and I would drive to work together every morning. And we did this for, you know, six months working at his big software company. And then lightning struck again, and his big software company was now being acquired by an even bigger software company, also great economic outcome.
0: That often means that founders are out of a job.
1: Uh, Yes, being called made redundant is the euphemism (sighs) we use. Painful. Um, But it means basically you're out. And Reed, I was out, and Reed was going to be out. But, you know, at least in Silicon Valley, when that happens, you don't despair. Um, because basically, you can basically go out onto uh, the highway there with a sign that says uh, "CEO needs work," and <laughs> someone will pull over, and you hop in, and you get another job. Uh, but it, you know, that company that I had sold to Reed's company was my fifth startup, so I was had some track record here, and I decided, okay, great. Now that I'm out of this job, I'm going to start the next one. Now, Reed um, was not in the mood to start another company. He, in fact, decided this was the time that really changed the world, that he was going to go and be an educational philanthropist. Okay. He was going to go to graduate school. But, you know, once you're an entrepreneur, you're always an entrepreneur. Can't get it out of the system. You can't. And he wanted to keep a hand in. So Reed and I came up with the perfect solution that we'd come up with an idea that he would be the angel investor, that I would hire the people, run the company, you know, find the lease, and we'd both get what we want but we needed that idea.
0: So take us back to the very drive. We have to know what kind of car it was.
1: <laughs> so Reed had a gold Avalon. Ooh, and, that's which is, hot. Yeah, you can almost picture car seats in the back of a car like that. <laughs> this,
0: <laughs> and you're driving along. This was not along. a
1: sexy Porsche that uh, Reed was driving. Of, it was an Avalon. Of course not, <laughs> but
0: talk about where at least the shell around the Netflix chick began to crack and
1: hatch. Talk about that drive. <laughs> You know, at the time, this is not like Reed and I were movie buffs or you know, debating who were the better French directors. We we were we were we had pedestrian tastes. We watched the same crap that everyone watches, <laughs> and so this was not saying let's start a movie company. My criteria was much simpler. I wanted it to involve selling something on the internet, and that was pretty much it. And we began exploring what could you sell on the internet. What would be interesting things. But I had another criteria I wanted to try and get in, which was personalization. Because the first 20 years of my career, I was a direct marketing guy, junk mail, you know, and catalogs. Direct to consumer. Exactly. And in a personalized manner, you know, the envelope would come addressed to you and it would start off, hey, Liz, have I got an offer for you? Uh, We remember those well when they first started. It was pretty primitive, he goes, we bet you and your neighbors at 17, Crescent, whatever it is. <laughs> you know how that was. But that was, that for some reason, I loved that stuff. Anyway, we began brainstorming ideas that might fit this mold. And they were ridiculous. I mean, one of the favorites was, um, for me anyway, was personalized shampoo. That we'd have someone mail in a lock of their hair. <laughs> our, our scientists, oh God, stop, which means please. me in the back, would formulate the custom shampoo based on your hair type. <laughs> And then you'd be delivered a subscription once a month, something like
0: what that. What would be in this, truffle oil?
1: Who knows? Yes, exactly. You, you got the exact, the exact idea. That
0: could have been your marketer.
1: You well, know, Reed didn't like that one, so next. And the other ones were equally ridiculous. It was personalized baseball bats and custom dog food. That was another one that I love. That might work today. I think most of these ideas now happen today, which is the irony. Yeah. But this was back in 1997. So um, the market was not quite ready for uh, custom dog food. And so one of the ideas was video and not selling video because back then Jeff Bezos had this company which was selling books only. It was a bookstore. But we knew that his aspirations were not just to be a bookstore. It was going to be the anything store and the everything store. So we knew video would be in his sights pretty soon. But we thought, what about video rental? Um, Because it was a big category.
0: Didn't Blockbuster exist
1: already? Yeah, more than existed, of course. Uh, they were a Blockbuster. Those who were around in 1997 knew that was the game.
0: Yes.
1: I mean, there was nine thousand Blockbuster stores. There was one you could throw a rock from almost anywhere in the country and hit a Blockbuster store. So that was the competition. But we believed that that experience left a lot of room to be improved upon. Um, blockbuster actually had at the the core one of the core tenets of their business model was something they called managed dissatisfaction. And you love to go up against someone whose principle is based on managed dissatisfaction.
0: Or accepting dissatisfaction.
1: Yeah, they recognize this is not a very good experience. We're just going to do the best we can. And we go, that's an opportunity for us. And so we began doing the research, and doing video rental by mail, but it got rejected by me. Mm -hmm. I went and said, I can't do this. These things are too... Back then... Again, if you remember Blockbuster, it was VHS. all VHS. Sure. Those big and heavy, fragile, expensive things. And I go, I can't mail those. They're too expensive. It's like $15 round trip. No one's going to pay that for a rental. And so that idea got tossed out the window along with the baseball bats and the shampoo.
0: Remind me, DVDs did not exist at that point, They, at least in America. Weren't they in development, though?
1: In uh, Maybe in Japan, me not being a video geek. I hadn't this I wouldn't have known a DVD if you had you know hit me in the head with it. So I had no idea. but you you're on something which is that was the breakthrough. that was if there was an inciting event, that was it was that one morning Reed mentioned that he'd seen there was this new technology being test marketed in the United States called the DVD. And it wasn't what was fortunate is that if we had just heard about the DVD, I don't think we would have jumped to video rental by mail, but it turned out that because we had spent time a few months ago really walking through this whole process about video rental by mail and realized, well, the flaw here is VHS is too heavy and too expensive, and that all of a sudden DVD came along. I mean, the analogy I've used sometimes is that it was like cleaning up and finding under your couch the jigsaw puzzle piece.
0: That you've looked for forever. And
1: all of a sudden you realize, right, this is the one that completes that puzzle. And that's what this was, was realizing this might unlock this video rental by mail idea.
0: What came first? The beta test? And by the way, the DVD did not exist at that point. So you had to figure out how to make sure you could mail these things or the name Netflix.
1: Oh, gosh. Name Netflix came much later. Okay. Um, in fact, at this point, this was just two guys in a car brainstorming ideas. And don't forget, we had gone through hundreds of ideas. This was just one more of them. And of course, we're going, you can't mail a DVD. That's ridiculous. And going, maybe you can. It's small enough. And so the, the, the lesson here, if there is one, is that w- we did not then immediately go to the office and write a business plan. We didn't begin working on the pitch deck or try and book time on Shark Tank or whatever it was. What did you do? We said, let's figure out, let's answer the first question is, will this work? So we turned the car around, and you're right, you couldn't buy a DVD. So we said, well, a CD is close enough. And we bought a used music CD.
0: Do you remember the band?
1: (laughs) I think it was Patsy Klein. Okay, so, uh, okay, good so, enough. I, yeah, uh, and uh, I it might even have been greatest hits, but it was used, because <laughs> I'm not going to waste $15 on a ridiculous test. So this was the cheapest thing we could find. And then bought a little, um, we didn't want to buy a box of envelopes, so we, go, we went next door and bought um, a gift greeting card envelope. And we put the CD in the envelope and addressed it to Reed's house and mailed it.
0: How much was the postage? Uh,
1: 34 cents or so something like stamp. that. So one stamp. One stamp. First one ounce. First class mail, and went to work. And then the next morning, Eureka, Eureka, as we had this uh, envelope, unbroken CD. And that was the moment we go, wow, this might actually be the thing that might work.
0: So you're ready to dive in. Did you? then rent an office or did you continue to work out of the car during the carpooling?
1: Well, yeah, you know, I worked the the, 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 longer pieces. Yeah. You work out of the car for, for, I mean, we were still working at this big company. The deal hadn't closed yet. I had nothing to do, but I was still going to work and getting paid. So I was using my office to research. How many DVD players do they expect to sell? What is, what's a DVD cost? How many titles, how, how hard it will be to build an e-commerce website. I mean, all these questions, but eventually you get to the point where you go, I, I'm i really not going to learn the fundamental question, which is, does anyone care? Or is anyone going to do this?
0: Or would anybody make the switch from VHS and all those machines yeah. to a DVD
1: player? It, I mean, These these are all the unanswered things that any entrepreneur faces. And you get to that classic moment where you, you can't prove it out in your head. But you more, can't prove it out with research.
0: It almost sounds like you guys were putting... Th- the cart before the horse, the horse would have been the DVDs. They didn't exist. And you're already trying to figure out how to sell something that wasn't here yet.
1: Yeah, that's an interesting concept, isn't it? We're betting on something which doesn't exist yet. And, you know, people sometimes think that successful companies sprang from this moment of inspiration instantly clear and true, and then they just built it out. And in fact, there's so many twists and turns and so much luck and if the DVD, for example, had not been ad- ad- adopted by the public, if it had gone the way of the disc, if it had had a VHS versus beta war, all these things could have happened and we'd be right here talking about customized shampoo.
0: I have. <laughs> <laughs> I'm <laughs> <Or> still not. <laughs> not convinced that isn't a terrible idea. I'm thinking about it right now. <laughs> We're not done yet. We'll be back in a moment. I know a lot of you have had this experience because for those of us who in 2020 were all sent home and we were stuck in a lockdown during the pandemic, we had a lot of time on our hands and I saw an ad for Masterclass and I thought, I want to better myself, I want access to all of these brilliant people who teach you things. With Masterclass, you can learn from the best to become your best. Masterclass is the only streaming platform where you can learn and grow with more than 200 plus of the world's best and smartest. For just under 10 bucks a month, an annual membership with Masterclass gets you unlimited access to every instructor. And I don't care, you can wake up one morning and say, I want to learn about business, and then another where you say, I want to learn how to survive in the wild if I have no water and no food fire to make me warm. You can access Masterclass on your phone, on your computer, smart TV, or even in audio mode. And the classes totally make a difference. Don't wait another moment to start your learning journey with Masterclass. Right now, our listeners get an additional 15% off any annual membership at masterclass.com slash Liz. That's 15% off at masterclass.com slash Liz. masterclass.com slash Liz.
1: When did the beach chairs come in? So, you know, finally you go, you got to figure this out. And so we read, writes a check for $1.9 million. I go hat in hand to other people, my, my mom, for the remaining $100,000. And we, that's the seed. Wait, what did mom say? Another one, Mark? Yeah, you could tell it was like the, the rolling the eyes of like, oh my God, what this is ridiculous. What? Oh. But of course, it's your mom. So of course, so she, you know, I, she thought she would never ever see that money again. I'm sure, but uh, invested along with a few other people, and then we, I rent an office, an old bank building. Uh, which town? This is in Scotts Valley, which is a little bit north of Santa Cruz. Okay. So it's Santa Cruz, essentially, and um, it's a it's a. Old bank building. The carpets are from the Truman administration, or something like that. The the (laughs) vault is still in the corner. I mean, it is a mess. And and we have two million dollars, but we're terrified of how long this needs to last us. Cash burn always. So no furniture. Everyone had to bring things in from home. We had beach chairs, like you said. Um, We had card tables. We had those folding chairs tables you get at Costco. How many employees? We had about a dozen. Okay. Um, My wife one time (laughs) came in and we're talking, and then all of a sudden she stops, and I see her gaze looking over my shoulder, and she goes, "Are those our dining room (laughs) chairs?" And (laughs) guilty, that was what was in the conference room. So (laughs) um, you do what you have to, but that's when the name began to come around, and because at first you've got to rent a space, you need a name for the lease, but we didn't know what our real name was going to be. And so we had a it's called a beta name, uh, and the beta name for us was Kibble, Kibble.com.
0: Okay, back to the dog back food the that dog was customized. Food.
1: Exactly, All right, because right. I made the classic error of, great idea, I'm going to get the domain name. And, and now you're stuck with the domain name. And I'm stuck with the and in fact, I still have the domain name, and if you write Aww. to me at marketkibble.com, it'll get to me. But um, that, we had that name, and we had that for a while, and then eventually you go, we need a real name, and it's hard to get a real name. And to make sure that nobody else owns it. You know, no one else owns it, that you can get the trademark, that it doesn't mean something obscene and Lithuanian or whatever it is like that. <laughs> you have these weird criteria. And, but, and so you have this long list of names. And Netflix was actually far from our first choice. Uh, you know, we had a long list of names. And Which one had to be
0: jettisoned that you really loved?
1: I kind of liked replay.com. I thought that was really kind of a neat name and I could, but that domain would have cost me like $40,000, which at the time that might've been a $40 million sure, for you guys. Yeah. And so it was like, but some of them were really lame. it was like, um, studio cinema was one of the, on the list. We could actually surprise, surprise that so domain came name up was with available. Netflix? Um, it was a collaborative group. Mm-hmm. We, and we eventually got to the point where we got to decide, and people didn't like Netflix. And in particular, they didn't like flicks. Because again, going back to the the, 90, the 80s and 90s, skin flicks was a thing, right. which was what they used to call porno.
0: Also, Flick in French is derogatory for, I believe, a police officer.
1: Yeah, exactly. You have to look at the whole... And of course, there was that big X at the end. So people were going, ah. Uh, but, you know, well... We had to go for something, and that was a little porny, but we went with it.
0: (laughs) Hey, you'll never go wrong with something just a shade lighter than porny because people will stop, (laughs) drop, and listen. Uh, So when did you start to realize this is actually going to work?
1: Uh, Well, you know, my, my book is called That'll Never Work, and it's because everybody that I told this idea to told me that'll never work, including my wife. We're supposed to be supportive and loving.
0: Mom, you know, thanks, thanks for the support.
1: They all go, this is never going to work. And when we launched to great fanfare and excitement, it turns out they were all right. That this was a ridiculously bad idea. That people would rent from us once and never rent from us again. And then we began going. You've got to figure this out. And we tried everything we could think of. I mean, for a year and a half. Things just barely limping along to keep the lights on as we struggled to figure out how do you possibly make DVD by mail work? Because the model back then was a basic video store. But also Due you dates, had to wait late versus
0: walking into Blockbuster on a Saturday night grabbing, you know, for me, I remember grabbing candy because they sold candy right there too. <laughs> and saying, oh, is this av- oh, I wanted to see
1: that. Okay, I'll take yeah, it. Right. Right. Versus waiting in the mail for something. Yeah, it's true. What a crazy idea. And we hoped that the fact that, A, we could make the browsing experience better by using the web to surface different things. You could search by by director, by genre, by actor, um, which you couldn't really do easily in a blockbuster. But fundamentally, the big thing we thought would set us apart was DVD. Because the fact that we were one store serving the whole country – We could stock every single DVD available. And you didn't have
0: to own the real estate that Blockbuster did. Correct. But But I'm interested to know how you built your inventory. Because some people want to watch Rocky over and over and over again. And other people are not that interested in some more obscure film.
1: So how do you figure that out? And we're not movie people. We have no idea. But one of the key people I managed to convince to work with us was a guy named Mitch Lowe. And Mitch Lowe was a video store guy. And he had sent, he had, self, he had self-proclaimed had spent 10,000 hours behind a counter in a video store. And he was one of those guys who could play 20 questions, well, three questions with a customer and figured out the perfect movement to give them. So he was the guy who would say, oh, LA Confidential, we're gonna need 50 of those. Oh, Sleepless in Seattle, I think two should do. And have this sense of what taste would be. He was our, now Netflix, of course, has spent millions and millions of dollars and thousands of hours on building an algorithm to do basically what Mitch did for us.
0: Amazing. and. A lot of times with startups, you convince and cajole people to come work for you, and you do have to say, "We can't really make payroll right now."
1: <laughs> it's a it's a very scary thing, and I remember very distinctly one point not long after we launched, where I was working late, and lots of people were working late, and I stopped and went to the um, window, and out in the parking lot saw all these cars, and realized. I'm responsible for all those car payments and their mortgages and their salary. And it was this tremendous feeling of responsibility that this is not just about me. This is about making this successful for them.
0: At some point, though, you reach a a point on the timeline where you say, you know what? This is starting to work, but to grow, we need more investors, How many no's did you get before you got a yes beyond Reed and his seed money?
1: Yeah, that was a tough one Um, because, again, everyone goes, this is never going to work. But we were benefiting from – we were just starting to enter that era of irrational exuberance. And so – 98, 99. Exactly. And we had the correct letters at the end of our domain name, which was .com. (laughs) And we were pioneering. And for some crazy reason, the rules of gravity didn't exist back then. This was not about, wait, do you have a business model which actually makes money? This was, wow, just think what what will happen. Imagine a world when. And so we were able to attract investors who had the vision (laughs) or the irrational exuberance to invest in us. So we did get a ton of no's, but... Largely because of Reed's reputation, we finally found someone willing to put that first uh, venture money in.
0: You've got some people listening who have an idea or want to do something similar. How should they view the word no?
1: I really think one of the most valuable lessons for anyone in business is that no very rarely means no. Um, And I don't know if we have a a second, I gotta tell you a quick quick story about no, not meaning no. And kind of where it became very real for me. When I was in college, um, I wanted to be in advertising. Um, When I graduated, I wanted to get a job at an agency. And uh, back then, most of the jobs that were the business jobs in an agency went to MBAs, but some um, of the agencies would actually take undergraduates. And they came and interviewed at college and I got excited. And I made the cut to come down and interview me and like a thousand other people. And we went through that first round interviews and I did well enough to make the second round, which was down to now 50. And I go, wow, I made the cut. Now it's down to four people competing for this one job. And I went down and spent the whole day meeting people up and down the agency and then didn't get it. Sent me home with a thanks for your time. And I went back and I said, this is what did I do? What don't I have that, someone else had, and I decided to ask. So I wrote a letter, no emails then, a letter to every single person I'd interviewed, not just that day, but all the other days. And basically said, what am I missing? What could I do? How could I prepare myself to apply for this job again in a year? And they called me up and said, come on down. And I went back down to New York and took me up to the 45th floor, whatever it was, and they offered me the job. And it was as an account executive. And it turns out that an account executive job is a turning no's into yes type of job. And they had not offered this job to any of us. They had wanted to see which one of us wouldn't take no for an answer. Really? Yeah.
0: That's, that is an interesting, interesting uh, and,
1: anecdote. And it is magic how frequently that's the case where people are looking for easy ways to filter, and the easiest way to filter out is just to say no. And if you, and this is not being obnoxious, this is not pushing past things, but it's recognizing That no doesn't always mean no.
0: Well, persistence. The world is filled with derelict geniuses who just didn't persist. (laughs) Madonna loves to say, and I've quoted this before to our listeners, I wasn't the best dancer and I definitely wasn't the best singer, but I just tried the hardest. Yeah. I just never took no for an answer. Uh, I want to just attack the Blockbuster issue. Yes, sure. Here was Blockbuster owning the world and then it didn't anymore. What was your thought when you guys finally overtook Blockbuster and Blockbuster went away? How did you feel about that?
1: Mixed, I guess, is the best way to say it. Um, I mean, Blockbuster employed 60,000 people, and it, uh, it sucks to have played some part in that dramatic a transformation. You know, change is not... Painless. But on the other hand, it's gratifying, not that Blockbuster went away, but that we really pioneered an entirely new way of consuming entertainment. Again, Blockbuster had, was predicated on dissatisfaction. And to be able to introduce a better way to consume movies, not just the way we did, mm-hmm. without when we eventually arrived at subscription, no due dates, no late fees, video rental, that was Inarguably a better way to do it, but then eventually getting the download and eventually of course to streaming and eventually to proprietary content. I mean, I really believe that Netflix has improved the experiences for people who want to consume great storytelling.
0: Well, you can't fight evolution. You just can't. Uh, That's why we use computers today in newsrooms and not typewriters. A lot of typewriter companies went out of business, obviously that is a painful change correct? but it's something that has to happen in this world but why'd you leave everybody hears of reed hastings Mm -hmm. mark randolph is the name that not a lot of people know they will now because of your book
1: (laughs) and because of you of course (laughs) (laughs) because of everyone talks to liz
0: (laughs) but what made you think "Mm, i think it's time to back away
1: you know i'm sincerely i'm the luckiest guy or one of the luckiest guys you're ever going to meet And it's not because of success or, you know, any of those things. It's because for so many years, I have gotten to spend my day doing the things that I love doing. And I was lucky also to figure that out. And what I love doing is early stage companies. I love sitting at a table with really smart people, figuring out really hard problems. I love businesses which don't yet know what their business model is going to be or how to get there or how to reach people or how that those are the fun problems and immodestly I'm good at that. And I had gotten to do that at my previous startups. I had done that for the first five or six years at Netflix. But once we were about to have the IPO, I go, I love this company, but I'm no longer getting that same thrill from what I'm doing every day. And if I'm really going to be successful, it's not doing something I don't enjoy, but quite frankly, nor am I good at. That Netflix can hire people way better than me for the challenges they're going to face in the next fifteen years. Well, they are. I can go back and do yeah, what I love. Doing. What
0: you love to do. They're already facing challenges. Of uh, in just the past four months, Disney Plus, Apple Plus, HBO Max, and this week. Because this is when we're taping, you have Peacock, that's right? And I look at this and I think, "Wow, streaming wars." How do you view this? And people say, "Watch out, Netflix."
1: Well, that's an interesting question. And the, my first emotion when I see this, with each successive introduction with Disney Plus, now with Peacock, I feel validation. I mean, we were talking about streaming. In 1997.
0: Yeah, you feel like saying, where were you guys?
1: The reason everyone was saying that'll never work was one blockbuster, but number two, ah, it's just a matter of minutes before everyone's streaming movies. And so to see it happening, to not just see Netflix do it, and they've been doing it now for 12 years, to see it all of a sudden becoming self-evidently the way that it's going to be in the future is hugely gratifying to me. But, you know, I also don't think the term streaming wars is the right one. This is not a winner-take-all market this is all of us participate together in a transformation of how televisions consumed right now still more than half of television is consumed linearly standard broadcast still there are two billion YouTube regular users so we are there's six billion cell phones we are still at the infancy of how this is going to roll out.
0: I see that. But you have that way of looking through a different futuristic prism. Will cable TV, I'm not talking about the cable companies that sell broadband too, will cable TV cease to exist at some point?
1: Yes. Uh, but that's that's a very black and white. But if I had a black and white, because it, it, you gave me the out by saying at some point. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, what they will have to do is figure out a way to deliver the things that streaming can't deliver. And the big fundamental problem is you can only watch so many things at a time. And having things predetermined about when they're shown is a huge inconvenience.
0: I gotta ask you, what's your favorite Netflix show? Because you, without you and Reed, we would not have the term binge watch.
1: (laughs) And, you know, I read that um, the average Netflix consumption is about an hour and 15 minutes per day. And I am doing more than my share. So someone out there has slacking. So <laughs> they need to pick things up. But I binge watch. Like I said, I am not a French director type of guy. Mm-hmm. I like everything. And so right now I am like, well, I guess I can you with a friend. I, I wish Big Mouth. I'm okay. working my way through that. Did which you is do fantastic. the whole Stranger Things? I did not get into Stranger Things. I did. Yeah, I liked it Yeah, because my
0: kid was all over that.
1: And I'm still, with my wife, I'm still finishing up uh, House of Cards. We're just in season six, so don't tell me how it ends. You're a little late. Well, you know, better late than never.
0: I find your story fascinating. Before we go, what are you doing these days?
1: So, as I said, I'm the luckiest guy is that I still get to now work with early stage companies. But rather than doing my own, I mean, I just finished up with a company called Looker which was another six or seven-year lift. But mostly the way that I get my fix is by working with other early-stage companies as a mentor. And I now get what I've always wanted. I get to come in, I get to sit around the table with the really smart people, but now I get to go home at five, and they have to stay up all night making their their dreams come true.
0: And what is the one piece of advice you would give an early-stage or incipient hasn't really become an idea yet. It's just a seed person
1: who's listening out there. The big difference between the people who are successful and the ones who are dreamers is the people who are successful take the thing in their head and figure out some way to start. It doesn't make a difference how big and how complicated and elaborate you can dream it. That's garbage. You have to figure out how to take the idea when you first have it and collide it with the reality as soon as you can. Your idea is flawed. flawed. Your job is to figure out why.
0: Mark Randolph, the book is called That Will Never Work, The Birth of Netflix and the Amazing Life of an Idea. This has inspired me. I hope it's inspired our listeners. This is what I've talked about with all of you guys, that it's a tough road to get to a $150 billion market <laughs> cap. And, and Mark, thank you for telling us about every inch of that road.
1: Why, thanks, Liz. It's been a pleasure.
0: It's been a pleasure to have you. Thanks so much for listening to Everyone Talks to Liz. What did I tell you guys? You come here every time, you will get inspiring stories that leave you asking yourself, what's my excuse? Anyway, you have no excuse not to watch my show Monday through Friday, 3 p.m. Eastern on the Fox Business Network, The Claim and Countdown. I hope to see you then. And thanks so much for joining us on Everyone Talks to Liz.